Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. Additionally, I founded the consultancy P&N Pricing and Negotiations in Healthcare based in Toronto, Canada, which supports companies and individuals globally by coaching, simulations and training, especially on negotiations. This service is including our innovative virtual reality simulation program and is part of the Negotiation Lab. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. So, thanks a lot for accepting and welcome to the show, Mike Rosenblatt, today. I think one of the big kind of pioneers, I would say, also in terms of uh, medical affairs, but I would also say in general, even more, I think it's around medical affairs and commercialization, including, I would say, market access. But Mike, I think before we jump into a bit of the uh, details of our discussion today, maybe you could introduce yourself as well. Sure, I'm happy to, Stefan, and, and thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this podcast and our discussion. I, I'm honored and I've really been looking forward to it. So um, I've spent about half of my career in academia and half in industry and in, in large pharma, biotech, and in venture. Uh, I've been the dean of a medical school, the president of a hospital. So I've seen uh, the issues around drugs from the side of practitioners and the academic base. But I've been the chief medical officer at Merck. I've been the chief medical officer of Flagship Pioneering, which is a venture firm that created Moderna and was very involved in the vaccine effort. And now I'm a um, special advisor to a few um, uh, life science funds and on boards and um, and not-for-profits as well. So that's my career story, Stefan. That sounds very impressive, Mike. So I think probably as well a lot of experience you might and could maybe as well share today. So I think the idea for today is really a bit to find kind of commonalities, maybe differences, maybe further touch points between, let's say, the two functions we are probably kind of representing, right? So the market access reimbursement area and you yourself basically coming out of um, the medical affairs area. But before maybe jumping into that kind of conversation, I think um, when I speak to some people, especially maybe, you know, maybe call them a bit more specialists, right, in some areas, they sometimes even tend to say, look, I mean, clinical development and medical affairs are basically the same thing. How do you react to such a statement? I mean, there are significant differences, I would say. Yeah, I well, I think, uh, of course, they're inextricably linked, but the functions are really quite different. And they, uh, although there's some overlap in when they kind of dominate in the life cycle of a drug, they are a little bit um, separated from each other with development, of course, coming um, earlier. So I think, you know, both of them require their own special skill set. Mm -hmm. So someone who is 
runs development or, or is good at development, they're thinking about the molecule or the um, potential new therapy that they've been given. And um, they need to be thinking ahead of how they can test it in patients and prove to the regulators and to the medical uh, and to physicians and to uh, payers what the value of this drug is, what, what it does and what it doesn't do, who it should be used in and who it shouldn't be used in, um, and kind of create a profile of the drug that uh, really um, makes its features good and bad understandable. Yeah. The medical affairs people also have a special uh, skill set, but it's not so much the design of clinical trials to satisfy these several uh, constituencies. They need to be thinking about once we have the information about this uh, drug, let's just say drugs for now, though it's more broader, uh, how can we, uh, we need to be able to explain it to these various constituencies uh, and to patients, by the way, uh, although, uh, you know, you can't do that directly in many regions of the world. And some of their function is bi-directional. In other words, when you're going around and explaining, you don't just tell the story and deposit it with the listener. You have to be listening. And, and you have to receive information which you bring back to the company and often to your colleagues who might be designing the next clinical trial with this very same drug to mm -hmm. show. So the medical affairs function is more interfacial. It's, uh, it's more public, and uh, it has a, a much larger explaining and listening mode. And, and I would say also it's, it is the principal interface with other physicians, which is a professional dialogue, mm -hmm. doctor to doctor. And when it works well, there's a, there, it's based on trust. So the doctors out in the field say, well, I trust the information I get from this person. They're going to tell me the truth about this medicine, good or bad, whereas they may you know, be hesitant mm -hmm. to believe everything they hear from other sources. Yeah, no, I know. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And I think you explained already, I think the that there might be different, let's say, focuses and different kind of, let's say, time points where I think you said yeah. steps in the life cycle, where maybe one or the other function has a more prominent role, I would guess, right? I think, you, let's say, in the earlier phase, it might be maybe read more development. Obviously, the more it might be advanced, it might maybe turn as well into medical affairs, where I would guess, I think, I think medical affairs is then also obviously very much into the maybe kind of, um, kind of the kind of, basis for all of the communication also in the direction yes. of the physician through marketing as well right but then sure. also in the direction of the uh, of the payers right yes right and, and by the way from the beginning they have to be in close communication with the developers but the, the medical affairs in my view if they get too um, commercial or marketing they can help those organizations but their job in my view is to stick to the science, and the medicine, and their voice will be strongest 
when they are expressing the scientific facts and the medical need. That's that should always be their foundation. Uh, so you know they, they don't have to get into other aspects of of what is um, important for marketing. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think you, you mentioned also, I think a couple of times now, it's basically really explaining, right? Explaining the product, explaining the value. Maybe also, maybe call it a bit positioning in a in a positive sense, right? Not really, yes. only, let's say, uh, from a marketing perspective, but I, you know, maybe you can take there an example, right? I mean, if we think about, for example, uh, the COVID nineteen vaccination, right? A lot yeah. of people, but also a lot of payers have maybe not directly understood from the early beginning what the kind of final output, so the final value of the product might potentially have been. But the same, for example, also for ATMPs, right? For some of the first CAR T cell therapies, right? Where maybe the evidence base was even more weak than when you would compare it against the quite big uh, COVID-19 trials. So I guess there's probably a very important then component or maybe a good example here where the market access functions and the medical affairs would need to really closely collaborate and try to explain then the value also in this way, not only, but also the payers, right? Yes, that's right. And by the way, that also applies. So what's happening now at an accelerated rate in a way that hadn't happened before, you know, up until, let's say about 10 years ago, there were only two therapeutic modalities. There were small molecules and there were biologicals, which included antibodies. You know, for the first 50 years before that, there were only small molecules. And now, if you look in the last 10 years, we have all these new modalities, things that have never been on the planet before. You know, living cells as drugs, uh, microbiome. What's the dose of a of a drug when it doubles in the in the body every twelve hours? Exactly. There's you know there's um, mRNA which you just mentioned. There's um, gene editing, and uh, so there are all these different modalities. So the medical, in terms of explaining things, medical affairs not only has to say, well, here's a new agent for this disease, that's what you did when you had a small molecule. Now you have to say, well, look, this agent, you know, it's very different. We put it in the body by IV infusion. It's going to multiply. The cells are going to divide. And well, these are very different things. And actually, we're in an unusual situation because when things were, were small molecules and you came to a regulator, whether it be US, Europe, uh, Japan, or other regions, the regulator often knew much more about this kind of molecule than you did because they were seeing them from all the companies coming in. Now you come in with the first of a new modality, the little company or whoever has the new modality has knowledge base that even the regulators don't have yet. Yeah. So there's uh, th that doesn't fall to medical affairs so much, but still there's explaining just gets more and more important as we have these new mo therapeutic modalities. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And maybe also, it's probably kind of mixed for, let's say for the follow-up kind of question. I mean, when I would be thinking about one of those kind of modalities, as you have just said, and, you know, just imagine um, we're just taking one of these um, not yet available on the market, 
And the evidence base is, let's say, rather, maybe call it difficult from a payer's perspective, right? Sample yeah. size quite small, maybe just a single arm study, but payers basically believe in, let's say, the story, right? So, yeah. you, you know, medical affairs, um, market access was able to convince the payer to say, yes, I would believe in that and I would be able to pay for it, right? But they would right. want to have a registry, for example, installed. Is that then rather a kind of as well work and responsibility of medical affairs and then obviously market access? Or is that rather something which you would say medical affairs may be part of it, but it's rather going to the development area because it's creating further kind of evidence? What, what is yeah. your opinion on that? Yeah, I think it can. It's a good question, Stefan. I'm not sure I really know the answer to it. I would say uh, it probably varies from company to company and where the strengths are to do that. I think in general, I would put that with the clinical development group. And again, let the medical affairs people, let somebody else generate the data. And then the medical affairs group can take that data at their interfacial role with physicians and payers and others. So, but I don't think that's a hard rule. That's my inclination. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that probably makes sense, absolutely. But I think mm, when having, let's say, a commercially um, successful product as a kind of end goal, right? Yes. When would you think medical affairs should be involved in the life cycle of a product? Yeah, a, a good question. And for this one, I have a definite answer. Earlier, <laughs> that's <laughs> earlier true. than you think. <laughs> <laughs> Together with market access, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because uh, I think for the most part, the larger, well-established pharmaceutical companies know this: mm -hmm. that you have to tell the field what's coming, and you have to start telling them, you know, two years or even more in advance. And if you look at the history of statins, you know, first, the medical field needed to understand cholesterol and the problems of cholesterol. And that, that set the stage for medical affairs. Um, when I see now, now the last uh, decade or so, I've been interacting with startups. And, you know, they tend not to think about medical affairs until much later, until almost launch. And that's, I, that's a mistake because they lose the value uh, at the launch. They lose the fast take-up because the field says, well, what is this new thing? We didn't never heard of it before. Exactly. They should have been talking about it at, at uh, meetings of professional societies and specialty meetings for a couple of years. So that's why I, I wasn't trying to be a wise guy, but my answer is earlier. That's when you need to start. <laughs> That's a perfect answer. I will remember that when somebody's asking me when market access should be, yeah, let's say, part of the life cycle of, of a product. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you also said always you have had different experiences for different types of product. Is, is there a difference in terms of, let's say, the... Um, there is the responsibility, the task, but also the kind of involvement between, for example, a drug maker, a, 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 a company which is producing a medical device and or maybe a vaccine. Is that different or is that generally, let's say, very, very similar? Well, uh, I think there are, are real differences. I think the, the way I would answer that would be to say, look, the foundation is the same. You're going to be talking about science. 
you're going to be talking about medical need uh, in the profile of the drug, and you are going to be um, uh, have integrity that the other side can feel. And as I said, medical affairs is bi-directional. Then you have to be listening and hear back from those people you're talking to what they see as the issues and whether you can address them and bring some of those back to your colleagues in clinical development and the company in general. But once you're on that foundation, once you're on that platform, there are differences. If you, I, I can't speak so much to devices because I don't have uh, much firsthand experience. But if I look at the difference between drugs, which I was have been very involved in, and several that I've really helped take from the laboratory all the way to um, worldwide approvals, if I contrast that with vaccines, and I've been involved with a couple of them including the Moderna coronavirus vaccine, the vaccines really have special issues. First of all, the, the scale. You're going to be giving it to a lot of people. Secondly, you're going to be giving it to healthy people. Thirdly, unfortunately, there is a political overtone now to the healthcare field, and at least in the U.S., the legal system and the justice system have become so involved in terms of can you um, mandate the use of vaccines uh, and where in the workplace or, or if you're a government employee versus a private employee. So there, there are many aspects and, and often the vaccines uh, are being paid for well, at least the um, COVID vaccine was paid for for the patients, for the government, which isn't the case, at least in the U.S. system, for many other drugs. So there's a, um, I would say there is a, a deserved specialty in vaccines. And it's interesting, Stefan, this field was kind of, um, you know, it was atrophying. There was very little interest in yeah, vaccines. Yeah. Uh, several years ago, it was a backwater. People, um, big companies were losing interest, closing their vaccine um, divisions or selling them to others. Now, of course, it's extremely hot and vaccines will do more than prevent an infection. They can be used um, uh, to prevent cancers and they are being tried uh, to treat certain cancers mm -hmm. so it's a whole different field now yeah no i and I, I fully agree i think that that's already shown quite um quite interesting and also quite important kind of differences maybe as well taking i don't know whether it's step backwards but uh just again bringing in a bit the kind of two functions together like medical affairs and market access i mean i personally had really very good experience i think in in different, uh, let's say, um, or with different kind of products, also with different kind of companies when working together with the medical fair functions. I mean, whether it was kind of simple joint advisory boards for, let's say, obviously with the payer view, but with a lot of physicians in there, or whether it was even, let's say, kind of the other way around where we gave, for example, input and directions for real-world evidence generation, right? But how would you see basically... Uh, the way how those two functions should optimally work together, maybe from a procedural perspective, 
maybe from a timing perspective, or maybe even from a content perspective? What was yeah. what is your experience? Well, I think uh, like the, this is the, I think some of the, the most interesting part about medical affairs function because they have these two big interfaces. One is with clinical development, passing the baton mm -hmm. onto them. And then they have this interface with the marketing group and marketing access. Um, they have, um, they should be explaining not only the physician point of view, mm -hmm. but in organizations that don't have a separate chief patient officer or patient view, they should be bringing the patient view and giving in the same way that the clinical development group gives medical affairs the information it needs to tell its story. Uh, medical affairs needs to give the market access group the information it needs mm -hmm. to structure its initiatives. And I think that there should, my own personal feeling is that there should be an element of advocacy that the medical affairs group should be advocating for the field the medical field and and the patients now uh, more and more as i said unless there's a separate structure and um i think that's helpful to market access to get it right mm -hmm. that's an expensive operation there's a lot riding on it there's the opportunity to get the medicines to the most people hopefully all the people who need it. Um, medical affairs can be a very strong voice at its, can't do it alone, at its interface with the market access group. Exactly, no, I, I think very, very good points. Um, wrapping a bit up, I mean, you said it, obviously a lot of interesting and important components, but when I consider just the healthcare systems between, let's say, the various European countries and the US, but also in the global functions, right? Yeah. Are there key differences would you where you would say that's something really to consider, especially maybe even for smaller kind of companies and maybe companies just currently growing, uh, to consider, especially when installing maybe a medical affairs function? Well, I, um, uh, you know, to first let me say I, I have not recently had a lot of experience with regions other than the U.S. because uh, the last several years I've been mostly involved with biotech companies and startup companies. They tend to focus on the U.S. market at the start. And so I just want to be careful. It's possible I'll say things that are out of date. But I would say that for in my past experience, you know, the U.S., uh, is an extremely fragmented market. You have to interface with a lot of different payers, a lot of different uh, physicians. and um, But one thing that characterizes the U.S., in my view, is a hunger for innovation and an impatience to not get it. So... You know, in the American system, if they know, and now everybody knows things because they have, it's spread so quickly on the internet, the patient advocacy groups, everything. If you uh, cured a mouse of cancer, believe me, there are going to be organizations <laughs> that are knocking on your door. So th th that's, where is uh, Europe? Um, uh, and of course, Americans are, uh, 
concerned with the cost, but not so much, not mm. to the same degree as Europe. Europe, the economics of it are a mm. much more important factor than in the U.S. And it seems, whether it's a product of the national health systems or it's um, the kind of temperament of society in Europe, they seem to be a bit more willing to wait for an innovation, see how it works, or see what the price is, or um, I don't, you know, whatever the reasons are, the innovations tend to come a little later there because of the structure. And so I think that requires uh, the cost business and the um, societal willingness to wait a little for innovation makes the medical affairs interface somewhat different. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think the whole kind of let's say communication, as you said, I think the the explanation, yeah. right, the, the the speaking to it, and also probably explaining the value is might be or might be really absolutely different. I think, as you said, I mean, if there's a big hunger for innovation, it's a bit a, a different tone. Whereas if you yeah. basically speak to maybe call it a bit more conservative kind of characters yeah. and systems, right? It's obviously you know you could say it's a bit more difficult, but it's maybe also the way how you need to explain also how the product really finally works, right? I mean, yeah. we've just discussed about ATMPs in a in a broader sense. I think, as you have just said, none or most of those kind of new products have not been available so far. But if you compare it when those products were available, also obviously given the kind of quite high costs, right? The US was always first, I would say. Yes, that's that's right. Yeah, and they and the. The Americans always believe that the new thing, the next thing, is better than the old. It's not always true, but that's what they believe. Yeah, no, fully yeah. agree. Fully agree. Very good. So, so coming to the end, if you would be able to give one advice, one key recommendation to a company, maybe just in the in an earlier kind of stage, right, preparing to commercialize a product, maybe take a drug. What would be your kind of recommendation to them with respect to medical affairs? Well, it would. Uh, I, I don't know that I would have like one word. I would. My keywords would be uh, science. Stick to the science and the medical need, and uh, don't be afraid to explain your product and uh, justify why it's needed. What what medical need it's. Um, you know, we we saw this with rare disease. How soon? So science, uh, medicine, and listen, listen back. That would be my advice. Oh, that's that's a very good one. I think I think I've not yet heard about listening, but I think it's a very very good point for any kind of stakeholder. And obviously, sticking yeah. to the science and the medical, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, Mike, yeah. maybe after our conversation, Stefan, I would add earlier. Yeah, that's what I was expecting, firstly. <laughs> but I think people who have listened to it, they will probably as well recognize it again. So start earlier than anybody else before. I think that's probably yeah. a very good advice, if it's the yeah. one thing, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Michael, it was a pleasure speaking to you. Thanks a lot for your insights. And yeah, talk and see you soon. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you, Stefan. Yeah. Bye-bye. 
So medical affairs is obviously a very important function within the kind of life cycle of a product. It's directly between a lot of different internal company stakeholders like development, like market access reimbursement, but also like, for example, marketing and a lot of further areas like communication, etc. I think medical affairs, as Mike has as well just said, is very much driven by science and the kind of head-to-head kind of conversation with the physician. So explaining the value, explaining the product. But I think what is also very important is what he said also towards the end of it um, is really listening, listening to what the other sides are saying. I think it's a lot of times what we have heard that, for example, in negotiation training, in communication training, etc. But ultimately, it's listening, then also turning that back, right, into the strategy, into the tactics, into the direction of development, but obviously as well into, for example, commercialization and market access. I think the function is getting even more important now with the new kind of products, 18Ps and the like, where kind of mode of actions have never been seen before. So it might be very difficult to explain how those products not only work, but also which efficacy, effectiveness, but also safety profiles it might basically show in the future. So ultimately, and I think that's very important also keep it in mind, there are a lot of interrelations between medical affairs and market access. I think as already as well alluded within the discussion with Mike, I think it's not only the typical payer slash medical advisory boards or the discussions with physicians in order to really prepare for example successfully for a submission, a dossier submission or a hearing. But it's also even more. I mean, sometimes it's simply really to explain to payers how a product works. Think about again about the various ATMPs and or also collaboration if for example a registry is finally needed. And finally, I would just simply agree with Mike If you think about implementing the functions like medical affairs, but also like market access reimbursement, simply start early and probably earlier than what we see it currently in the market. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.